0: Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Daydream Rose podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to bring this episode your way. Um, I recorded this with Langston Khan just a few weeks ago and I'm sending it kind of a little bit out of order because Langston is running a really beautiful program that's starting later in the week and I wanted you to know about that in case you're interested. But yeah, this conversation is about so many things that have been on my mind and I think that Langston has been really generous in sharing so many perspectives and tools and ideas um, that I really appreciated, and I think you might too. So yeah, we talked about shadow work, about cancel culture, about reclaiming parts of ourselves and how we can relate to ancestral healing and we also heard about his book which is called Deep Liberation, Shamanic Teachings for Reclaiming Wholeness in a Culture of Trauma. I mean, need I say more? <laughs> it was great. So yes, I'm really excited to share this. Um, let us know what you think. I would love to hear from you. And I'll just update you in some small ways. I'm doing okay. Um, if you haven't heard my last episode, I broke my leg on New Year's Eve, and I'm very slowly recovering. Will be a few more months of being in a cast, but it's going okay so far. It is hard, of course, to navigate some things and it's not a great time being in lockdown in the UK to have this happen um but I'm very internal and very cocooned basically and resting lots and I'm good at that so, so that's okay I'm also really excited about the embodied virtual community I have um left Instagram for good this time um just before new year's and it's kind of open up more space for me to be present in communities that feel more intentional for me online. So one of them is the Patreon community, which has grown over the last three years. I've offered so many different things like the Embodied Magic program and um, that's now in recordings in an archive. And then we did the Unravel program last summer and the Dream program in autumn, which was more writing based. We did grief work together and practiced rituals and writing. And at the moment, we also have the weekly creative space sessions. So that's all now one thing because I'm simplifying. That's my big thing for the year. And so you can become a patron at any level and join us if you like for those weekly sessions and also to access all the recordings and the Mighty Network that I've set up as a new space to share and connect um, outside of Instagram if you want to. And also no judgment if you want to be on Instagram. That's I I don't want to yeah, it's just a, it's a personal thing, isn't it? But I think it can definitely also be a really beautiful space. And if it's working for you, then I'm glad. Um, I think that's all. Yeah, not much is happening. I joined the 100 day project, which is very exciting. It's a, you should look it up. Actually, it's, it's beautiful. It's a commitment to do a small creative act for 100 days every day. And I'm allowing myself to do really tiny things some days, you know, like just doing a tiny doodle or just writing a few words. Um, but I feel excited about the length of that commitment because a hundred days is gonna lead me into spring and into a new phase of my recovery, and that's a manageable timeline for me right now. So I'm excited for that, and maybe that will be exciting for you too. Okay, now I'm gonna let you listen to the episode. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Um Hey, everyone. I am so happy about this interview. I know I often say that, but I really mean it. I'm speaking to Langston Khan again. We have already had a conversation for episode number 17, and that just feels light years away. It was just in 2017, which technically maybe isn't all that long, but I feel like so much has changed since then, and I really love Langston's work, and I'm just really always so happy to see Um, yeah, what people have been up to over the years, how their work has grown and evolved. Um, Langston has um, written a really beautiful book called um, Evil Liberation, Shamanic Tools for Reclaiming Wholeness in a Culture of Trauma. And this whole title is just making my heart feel like, oh, yes. (laughs) So I'm really excited to talk again. And I recommend just that if you're curious, maybe Check out episode number 17 if you want a little bit more background, because we will dive in at the deep end today. Langston, thank you so much for coming and making time and being open to this. I'm really excited to speak to you.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Yaro. It's really wonderful to be here (laughs) with you again.
0: Thank you so I want to begin by kind of grounding us in time and space we're recording this in January 2021 a lot has happened and I would love to know where you are in the world right now and what the pandemic has been like for you so far.
1: Yeah so right now I am in the Bronx in New York City which is the ancestral lands of the Lenape the Rockaway and the Canarsie and um, I'm alone in an apartment (laughs) that I'm subletting from a friend, um, which has been a little bit isolating, but it's a beautiful apartment with lots of plants and lots of light right next to the Harlem River. So just that connection to flow and water and green has been really good for me in this very strange time. And yeah.
0: I bet that sounds beautiful, yeah and how do you feel just kind of in yourself like do you do you feel connected with the landscapes that you're in or how have you managed to maintain a sense of intimacy i guess with the people that you love
1: yeah so for me it's it's been weird because when i right before the pandemic i had devoted this year to The book that I was working on, I'd already already started it the sort of year before in March in 2019, and I was still working on it. I had gone away to a pretty intensive training program um, in some of the sort of Qigong and and Taoist work that I do, and um, a lot of physical training was part of that as well. And so I was almost in this like hermit mode where I was like writing my book, going to training, going back home, continuing to write seeing less clients, slightly less active in my sort of community role, in my shamanic community. And I was really ready once I finished the book to go out and be with people and celebrate and, you know, just have fun again. And then what happened was the pandemic instead. (laughs) So I left this sort of hermit mode that I'd been in and went to live with my father for a time, which was actually really, Wonderful, just to get to be with him um for a longer sustained time than I had in a really long time, and um I just continued working and so since then, since the book's been done it's it's been interesting to be in this world of uh that's so isolated, and I've been just trying to connect with friends on zoom with family on zoom a lot um, and also really noticing how to be more intentional with my solitude because there's a way that even with all of the isolation we can fill our solitude with movies and books and you know social media and all the many ways we can stay connected to each other even from a distance so i've actually even more than like figuring out new ways of connecting with people i've had to learn to create new boundaries on, around solitude because I'm alone so frequently, there's like this desire to stay connected all the time. And so I've had to learn like, okay, how do I turn off all my technology and spend a day really just being with me and myself and noticing what's going on? What are my desires right now? What's bringing me pleasure? And how can I orient more to that and all that I'm doing, even in this crazy time?
0: Yes, that is so beautiful to hear my whole interward being was like, Yeah. Really um yeah, giggling with excitement. I really hear that and I have have had similar experience. I think especially in March and April there was such an overwhelming wave of possibility online and everyone had classes and everyone wanted to get together and zoom and catch up and I really needed to kind of pause and come back to myself and later on in the pandemic I decided to let go of my smartphone and I now deleted my social media. Channels and that feels really good. I don't think that I would have done that without those challenges. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, so interesting how that this kind of time can inspire that kind of retreat within that deep Mm -hmm. yin and unfolding into possibility and newness. Mm -hmm. And I think also with part of that was also for me that the grief of this time, too, really needing that time in solitude to actually give myself a container where I felt safe to actually feel and experience the grief that I was in of all the loss of life and of just ways of life as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, totally, yes. We've already touched on a few things that you're doing, but for those that haven't had a chance to listen to the previous interview, um, how would you describe your work?
1: Yeah, so I, I work with people to go to the root of, what's causing challenges in their life or what they're wanting to transform or what has felt like a maybe fixed part of their identity that they want to shift but haven't been able to. And then I try to work at that root place to create change so that change ripples from the inside out affecting every aspect of life. Um, And how I do that is sort of two different main ways one way i do that is through my shamanic healing work which is me going into a deep trance state embodying my helping spirits and working with them to see what are the roots of these challenges people are experiencing from their perspective in the invisible realms in the realms of you know you might call the spirit world of our environment of our emotions of our unconscious and moving into that space to Create change there that then can ripple out in the client's life. So that's one way I work with people that can include things like retrieving lost soul parts that were abandoned during moments of trauma. That so people could survive. You know, just they had to let that part of themselves go so they could keep going. Um, And bringing those back and explaining why they left and helping them to reintegrate. Or it could be um, deep ancestral healing, going to the root um, in someone's lineage of where an ancestral trauma first started and creating change there on behalf of the ancestors and pulling the sort of harmful patterns out of the lineage and explaining them to the person I'm doing work with so that they can then transform those their version of those patterns in their own life currently and all the random miscellaneous shamanic healing stuff like energy and energy out intrusive spirits helping spirits that you need to work with and just the, the weird stuff that can happen that people need to just Realign with the essence of who they came to this earth to be and bring more of that love and that beauty out into the world. So that's one way I work. And then the other main way I work is guiding people into their own inner landscape, into their own sort of inner depths. And in that place within their body, working with the wisdom of the heart to track energies to their root. Um, For example, aspects of self that are sort of trapped in choices we made to survive when we were younger and helping them to reclaim the sort of power and purpose that was lost in those sort of fear-based choices in those moments that were great because they allowed it to survive and get to this moment but now are no longer useful for the adult we want to be in the world currently
0: yes that is that's so beautiful and yeah i'm so happy you're doing this work i really just uh, yeah, I love seeing and witnessing that from the outside. I haven't experienced it with you myself, but I just really feel such deep resonance of how you describe this, and I'm so happy for your clients, even if that sounds <laughs> cheesy. Um, I would love to. I mean, well, I I really don't want to make this about myself, but there's a story that came to mind just now. Maybe for people oh, who yeah. <laughs> who feel like this this idea of soul retrieval and how do we lose paths in a situation of trauma can maybe feel abstract if you haven't heard of this before. And uh, so I, this is one thing that came to mind for me recently. Um, so when I was about 11 or 12, um, I was bullied for the way that I moved in a really specific way and it doesn't really matter, but it really, I, I am, um, it really had an impact on me, but I hadn't noticed that until the pandemic. So as a teenager, I really loved dancing so much, but I was really deeply self-conscious about how, I moved and how that was a part of my self-expression. So I was drinking quite a bit as a teenager and then a bit in my early 20s and the only really occasions that I would ever dance in my life would be when I was out with friends in a club and it was appropriate to drink and I always felt like so jealous and curious about my friends who would go to improv dance classes and find that totally like doable and casual It really freaked me out and I was like wow I really want to be that liberated to just kind of enter a space with strangers and music and see what my body wants to do and then last year in the pandemic so many online classes you know our local dance studios were suddenly offering online classes where you could be on zoom but you could have your video off and I learned all these amazing dance moves and like really just stretched you know what I was able to do and I had so much joy in that expression and was really grateful that this kind of way of accessibility came to be because of the pandemic for me and only then as I was kind of like going deeper into that dance it became clear to me that there was still this time in my life that had this impact and I still had felt until then this self-consciousness and there was almost kind of like a, a retrieval happening for me as I was exploring these zoom spaces so that's just one example. I'm sure you have many other, but um, yeah, that felt good to tell. <laughs> thank you for listening.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. That's such a good example. And uh, I guess in my work, how I might characterize that is exactly related to those those choices I'm, I was talking about that we make in, in childhood. That then we have to, you know, choose to unmake as adults. Sometimes we need support in doing that, and. Yeah, what a beautiful story of how you supported yourself in that way of of finding freedom again in your body. I love that. Um Thank yeah, that's you. wonderful.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um this is a big topic. The next one that I would love to kind of bridge to. So you can take this any way you like, but I'm wondering what shadow work means to you at the moment and how you're stepping towards or into it.
1: Uh, great question. So shadow work is such an interesting term it comes out of carl jung's you know definitions of the term largely and how it's understood in popular culture Um, and my way of thinking about shadow is actually very different than most people's thoughts about it but i'll start out by saying one aspect of how jung talked about shadow work is as bringing whatever is in our unconscious into consciousness so that work of withdrawing our projections and triggers and all the ways that we disown aspects of ourselves and put them on others around us or sort of externalize inner dynamics in our life doing the work of tracking those back to the root inside of us where they first started and working with them there and that is a lot of the work that I describe in my, in my book. I just, I just wrote Deep Liberation. Um, the, the bulk of that book is all about the many ways we can work with those kind of energies and track them deeply into our inner landscape, follow the crazy logic of our unique symbolic language that our body shares with us and learn to translate and track that symbolic language in a way that we can actually create deep change there and free up those energies and so one way that so that's one way that people talk about shadow work and for me my definition of shadow work is a little more specific that absolutely is necessary that kind of deep work of even being able to to withdraw projections and track them into the unknown inside of you and and gain insight about yourself and create change or that's absolutely an aspect of shadow work but one way i have a problem with how that gets defined is people sometimes stop at the insight they just like think oh now i understand why i was doing that thing so that's enough whereas in reality uh, most of us even if we understand the dynamics of something doesn't mean we can actually change it we have to really do specific work to to work with the part of us who first made that choice that is why we do that to show up for them and that part of us in a way that makes them feel safe enough to make those new choices that can then ripple out into our adult life and our adult bodies but for how the other aspect of how i define shadow work is is a deeper layer of that work there's these energies that even if we tried with our mind to engage a process of of tracking in our inner landscape, we wouldn't really be able to get to them because our mind has decided if I embody this energy, I'm going to die. So they take this aspect of us that's perfectly authentic, perfectly beautiful, and they throw it in what I call the shadow closet and lock away, you know, throw away the key. They, They lock them away in a dungeon and throw away the key. And that part of ourself that's been now thrown into our unconscious is forced to watch our life from the sidelines. They're forced to um, only be able to express themselves through the unconscious. So that means through patterns of self-sabotage, through intense attraction, through intense fear. And that's the only way they can be known by us. They can't consciously engage and have an impact in our life through our conscious action. And and these teachings around the shadow come out of my work in my shamanic community, in the lineage of the cycle of transformation in the Last Mass community. And in that work, what we do is we we rescue these parts of self that are stuck and have become twisted and monstrous from being forced to watch our life from the sidelines, as anyone would in that unfair situation. And we rescue them from that place of the shadow, and then we transform them into the ally they were always meant to be in our life. And then we integrate them, but, uh, but you can't, you know, integrate a shadow when it's still in that twisted monstrous form. You have to first really get it out of that sort of unconscious place where we're holding that shadow part of us in this twisted form. And then Through engagement with our creativity, through engagement of dance, through engagement deep in the body and ritual technologies and spirits that help us in this process to really see through our own blind spots, we transform our relationship with that energy and and then can bring it fully into our life and integration.
0: That's such a beautiful way of looking at it. I really feel my understanding of shadow work expanded and yeah that's really helpful, and I think it it relates to shame as well, and I really love the storytelling work that you do and yeah, because I think that um recognizing ourselves and our own experience and our own shadows and other people just makes it so much more possible to step forward and say yes i I want to look at this and work at this and really understand what's going on here so yeah, um Can you tell us a little bit more about your perspective on cancel culture, which maybe relates to this as well, to the things that we keep hidden and and the way that they can come out sometimes with the intensity of attraction or fear?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I mean, I think cancel culture can definitely be... First of all, I should say, I, I think that phrase gets thrown around a lot, cancel culture, but it's important to understand what we're talking about when we talk about cancel culture because a lot of people can use the same phrase to mean many different things and i think sometimes when people are debating about this people are having arguments about two entirely different kinds of human behavior and they're not even they haven't even sort of defined those terms yet so when i talk about cancel culture i am thinking of a culture of disposability a culture that deems if someone makes a trespass then they need to be expunged in some way. They need to be silenced. They need to be banished. They need to be exiled. They need to be removed. Um, And I think sometimes that kind of forcible silencing and removal is necessary for people's safety when someone has done a lot of harm and abuse. But... I think what is harm and what is abuse and what is conflict um, can be, become very murky very quickly. And you know, one of the thinkers I love the most about this right now is um, Adria Marie Brown and her book "We Will Not Cancel Us and Other Dreams of Transformative Justice." I really appreciate the way she clarifies some of these terms, and um, in that book, just puts forward this real ethic of love connected to deep accountability and doesn't compromise with either one. And so what I think of cancel culture as is a a culture that has forgotten the love component of of justice, that, that both are needed. We need justice. We need radical accountability. We need to have systems of, Holding people in their integrity, and and of coming back into integrity ourselves when we move out of it, but we need to do that with such fierce love. And when I say love, I'm not talking about um, you know just some romance or or even just emotionality or sentiment, but that fierce force of the universe that is constantly trying to remind us of who we are and who we came here to be, that kind of love that's all around us always and available to all of us. And so what I'm interested in is developing technologies that allow us to not wait until it gets to the point where someone either has been or people feel they need to be canceled. And I think a lot of times that point comes out of a long history of lack of accountability and imbalances of power and abuses of power. So one of the ways I think about this in my shamanic community is that we have concepts of waste, junk and shit. And so waste is just that natural stuff that happens and we're not, you know, withdrawing our projections like we were talking about and like honoring the fact that that our discomfort is not caused by others often, but is something that we need to really, even when it is caused by others, really examine and see what of this is really about the present moment and what in this am I projecting from my past experiences so I'm not perceiving reality clearly necessarily. And when we have practices for holding each other in that kind of accountability over time, then we process the natural waste that is created in any living system you know any living closed system and so what happens when we don't do that is that waste gets disowned and it turns into junk like just this like trash that's left all around for others to have to like you know walk on eggshells around and then when we decide to leave community and we left all this junk behind now that junk we created becomes shit Because it's shit that other people have to clean up and deal with now, which is much harder when the person who had originally involved is no longer there. So I'm interested in creating systems and practices for helping us to hold each other in that work of just processing our natural waste, which a byproduct of processing that waste is gaining greater and greater access to freedom and our power and our unique gifts. And having those reflected to us in community, alongside having reflected the ways we're not honoring the brilliance of who we came here to be, or maybe not honoring the limits and boundaries of others. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of in in deep liberation, a lot of the deep liberation process is a sort of peer process of support in helping each other to do that work of engaging the ways that, you know, life is constantly trying to initiate us by bringing into our awareness these aspects of self that are stuck in moments of pain or trauma and offering us an invitation to reclaim those aspects of self and bring them into the fullness of who we came here to be. And when we're not engaging in that process that life is always trying to help us with, that's when we start to project. And often that's when we start to you know, create division and stagnation and disharmony in community. And when we do choose to do that together, that's when we create greater ease and joy and laughter and connection in community, and when, when real intimacy is possible.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. I love this metaphor, and it feels so beautiful to say, like, yeah, I really want to take care of my waist and let not let it become trash and then shit. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really beautiful. I just started a warm farm in my garden. And I'm so excited to explore this process from my kitchen into the garden and regenerating the soil. And um, I, I think it's really nice to do these things simultaneously on a, an emotional, physical, spiritual level. So yeah, that's beautiful.
1: Absolutely. I love that. I love that um, referencing of your, of your composting. That's so important because that's, I think it's so helpful to look to nature in that way to understand that there's no value judgment here. Like realizing you've been triggered that you have a projection you need to like work with or compost and look at, it's just, it's just something, just like with your garden, you're not judging the fact that those banana peels are rotting, you know? So, <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah. so we need to work with this so it can become new life and new energy. And that's, that's how I would hope most people approach this kind of work, not as like with shame or judgment, on themselves that they have to do it but just that this is a part of being human on this earth the only time when we don't have this work to do is when we're dead
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah totally i would love to hear a little bit more about both the process of writing your book and also just the the message and like what you're trying to share about shamanic skills in relation to complex trauma which i know is a massive question and you have already shared so many beautiful aspects of it but yeah I wonder what else comes to mind that you would like to talk about
1: thank you yeah so the process of my writing my book was really interesting I um, in some ways it's like I've been writing this book for the last 10 years in my head because and not just in my head because um, in you know early many years ago it must have been about like maybe eight years ago now maybe seven years ago or so I had this experience where um, I was in a group, a Facebook group that was um, for queer witches. And it was this incredible group in that it just had about like, you know, tens of thousands of people that were part of it. So there's always something being shared, a lot of interesting information being exchanged. And unfortunately what I saw in the culture of the group also was a lot of what i might call like developing technologies for being wounded without any technologies for the healing of those wounds so like the ways that we you know quite honestly we come by these techniques honestly develop as people in our contemporary culture ways of like sort of sidestepping each other's trauma um so that we can still be together while being traumatized, and uh, when I'm talk about this, I'm not just talking about um, you know really extreme trauma that causes PTSD, or in any way um, you know criticizing people that are struggling with all the many different ways of and types of mental unwellness that we can encounter in our life and experience and struggle with, and that I have myself struggled with. Um, but i am talking about those kinds of that kind of sort of like family of origin baggage that we all have living in a culture that doesn't initiate people into adulthood during which time in an indigenous culture that family of origin baggage would be dropped so in that way many of us are walking around with this complex trauma made up of those many childhood experiences of harm or abuse or just fear moments when we were afraid and we thought we would die if we didn't do something that was out of alignment with who we are um and for a child that can be many things you know because um children are dependent on adults so if the parent doesn't love me maybe they're not going to feed me tomorrow you know that can be a kind of um way we feel enough fear to cause us to make a choice that's so out of alignment with who we are that it causes lasting traumatic patterning and so I got a little sidetracked there, but what I'm what I'm talking about is when we when we have this type of complex trauma, and we have when we walk around in in essence with the emotional body of a much younger person than we actually are. We're not walking around with the emotional body of a mature adult necessarily, at least by the standards of an indigenous culture of adult. And so what can happen then is if we if the only tools we have to deal with that are trigger warnings and content warnings and call-outs, then people just tear each other to shreds. We start, you know, the, the if, if you set someone off, it instantly becomes a responsibility of the person who set them off versus honoring the fact that maybe that person was an asshole, maybe they weren't, who knows? But we are responsible in essence for our own emotions also. And so, if we only make that responsibility one sided by like you know the person who triggered me versus taking also responsibility for our own triggers and engaging them as the gifts they're meant to be from our life and our body to help us to come into greater wholeness if we don't have those tools, then what happens is we we're very vulnerable to division and tearing each other apart as communities and so and weaponizing our trauma to do harm to each other and so What I saw in that group was, I think, in part, because of that brittleness that came out of the lack of those tools, we were very ripe to be attacked. And what happened is that group was infiltrated by alt-right people and then ultimately by police as well. And the whole group was shut down (laughs) overnight. You know, It turned to group 10 to some people to eventually, when it came back up, like 60 people or something. And it never really came back. And so that, that this, this book, the process of writing this book came out of first many years ago, deciding to teach a class, engaging some of the tools I had learned in my shamanic lineage for healing our triggers and working with them as a way to come into greater wholeness versus seeing them as something that someone has done to us. and. Out of that, teaching that class that eventually became a much larger class um, that I developed, some in partnership with Christina. She she developed the first curriculum for energy body mastery, and then I helped someone developing the energy body clearing curriculum. But these classes that work on a much deeper, more detailed, larger scale to help people create sustainable community and sustainable practice within themselves to work with these triggers and and engage with their lives, the teacher even beyond triggers to proactively be engaging with life, to be finding these new parts of self in our unconscious that are wanting to come into being. And so this book really came out of, after teaching that for a number of years, realizing, you know, I really need to share in a way that's more accessible these teachings especially in a way that's more accessible for people who are by POC you know black indigenous people of color people who are queer for all the marginalized voices that often get left out of these kind of you know self helpy or spiritual books that aren't necessarily accounting for that perspective and so I really wanted to with this book explore how do we in this time cultivate the quality of heart using these skills that not only can move us on our own path of transformation but also allow us to become the people resilient enough to feel safe moving into these sites of fracture these sites of cultural wounding not just personal wounding and becoming the people who can actually weave wholeness there the people who can actually make a new story for the people with our lives, a story that's rooted in an ethos of compassion and care for all of life.
0: Yes, just letting that sink in. Mm -hmm. I remember that Facebook group. It's been a really long time, and I, I wasn't a part of it, but I had friends in it, and... Uh, yeah, I remember that was that was big, and I think really shifted a lot of thinking for a lot of people. So it's so beautiful to see that so many years later, you know, in some ways it has woven into this book and this whole process. And yeah, I really love what you said about taking responsibility for our triggers. I think there's something that just kind of lands in my nervous system that feels really good and just really so much more empowering than. Um, really, just thinking about what is being done to me in some very simple way, yeah. Um, I'm wondering, with um, the practices that you share generally or specifically with the book, is there? Do you have kind of boundaries or wishes as to how people approach them that don't share your identities? If that makes sense.
1: Mm, mm-hmm. That's a great question, and and no, I wouldn't say so. How I think about this is is comes directly out of the thinking of the Black feminist collective, the Kumbahi River Collective, and also the work of Alexis Pauline Gumbs and other Black feminists, that if we, they, they put forward the idea that if we were to create a world that was truly safe for and truly, you know, nourishing for Black queer women, then we would have a world that was safe for everyone and so when i talk about writing a book that feels deeply nourishing for black and indigenous and people of color i what i'm talking about is writing a book that's ultimately going to be deeply nourishing for all of us because it's only when we're when we're discounting or you know literally marginalizing certain voices that we create something that isn't valuable for everyone but when we're centering those who have been pushed to the margins that becomes something that i think is valuable for everyone
0: yes that makes sense thank you um i also wonder if um i mean i I still kind of feel i i just feel so connected to the people that listen to this podcast and i god just love doing this work so much and i can sense almost that maybe people still have questions about like, what does it really mean to explore this work? And um, one way of grounding that I wonder might be to ask, what do you wish more people knew about relating to their bodies and how that maybe ties into their activism and um, the way that they express themselves or exist
1: in communities? Yeah, so I think maybe it's useful just to share, a story of my own that i you know i'm someone who was very dissociated from my body growing up in a lot of ways and that was for many reasons on one hand i had some you know you know family trauma around you know rage and and anger and um my own my own sort of disowning of that which of course was a big disowning of my body in certain ways to to not feel anger also cuts us off from our passion and also cuts us off from a lot of our other emotions and just our relationship with our body and so then on top of that, I also um, moved around uh, you know six years old out of New York City in this really wonderful diverse community into a predominantly white uh, community where I was like one of the only black kids in my school and um, that also resulted I think in a lot of dissociation and trauma from my own body and just feeling safe in my own body and so what allowed me to begin to bridge that gap was first learning actually inner relationship focusing from my mother um she had just become a teacher in these this modality at the time and she she just my mom has this incredible ability to just really ride emotions down to their root, to just be with them with this fierce compassion and love, and ride them down to to the bottom, to like wherever they take you, wherever that is, and not worrying about when you're going to get there, what's going to happen when you get there, but just to ride them down to the bottom. And so she really embodied that for me as she was teaching me these tools. And I began to bridge the gap between myself and my body through a new engagement with my emotions. So that's like sort of the first thing I would recommend to to people that are struggling with embodiment and, and relating to their bodies to start by just sitting with the body itself, maybe taking a few deep breaths and sinking your awareness into your body and from that inner space just inviting your body to bring into your awareness whatever it's wanting to show you and understanding that the body usually relates to us through the symbol through emotions that might come or images or um, physical sensations like a clenching in my gut or fluttering in my chest or Uh, memories that come and just being willing to not try to leap back into our mind and analyze or make sense of what's happening, but just being with what's arising exactly as it is and describing it as best we can, which is a sense of curiosity and interest. No need to label or judge, just describing as much as we can and navigating to those inarticulate fuzzy edges within our body And seeing what arises from those spaces, and that that very basic practice for me—that of course, you know, there's a lot of complex complexities you can add to it, and precision you can add to it over time to help us to do that. But it's that basic willingness to be with whatever your body is showing you in the moment, with compassionate curiosity—was for me what allowed me to start to bridge the gap between my ability to. Be in my body and feel my emotions being expressed in the current time versus this gap between like what I was feeling inside and what I could express on the outside.
0: Yeah, I love that invitation, and I, I agree that when we open to listening to our bodies and we begin to describe things and really find language, the language then becomes clearer and it becomes this beautiful circle that just in a spiral way goes up and up, which is really great. Yeah. Whew. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share that I haven't asked you about yet?
1: Well, I think right now, you know, in the U.S., we just had our inauguration. Um, and for all the complex feelings that we uh, many of us might have about that, day and all that's happening right now um it was really beautiful to witness the poem that the um youth national poet laureate amanda gorman read and i'm just thinking about that 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 poem i just i just heard it so recently it's still on my heart um And a sentence particularly from it, that she said, we will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens, but one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left. With every breath from my bronze-pounded chest, we will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. That's that's a tiny extra from this poem, and you should hear her read it because she does a much better job than me. But um, that really stuck with me as an encapsulation of, of the reason I wrote this book and the invitation I want to offer for anyone reading it, that this book is not just about how we become more comfortable within a fundamentally broken culture but it is about how do we start sorry it's about how do we start right now living in the culture that we want to leave behind for the next generations how do we pull ourselves out of our fears and pain of the past and worries about the future back into the present moment where we have the power to create change and in that moment begin to practice freedom together to practice tools and techniques that allow us to be more free and accountable and loving with each other in a way that we can learn to make that the culture that we all live in, the culture that centers those values. And so my hope is that, you know, I don't think, I don't think we're ever able to change systems individually much. And I think if we, that, that's one of the reasons we can feel so much hopelessness and despair and even apathy or numbness in the face of some of these big systemic challenges and problems and abuse. That we've been witnessing over this past year in different ways around the world Um, and, and yet what we can do is when we're able to come together as a collective we can change systems because ultimately systems are just made of individuals so when enough collectives in a system are doing something different the system can no longer sustain itself as it was it has to shift and change in response to that collective So my hope is that the tools in this book can help people to learn how do we come back together? How do we live in collectives in a way that's sustainable, in a way that doesn't re-wound us in the same ways that maybe our families did, or maybe that we've been wounded by community in the past? How do we create a container of community that has space in it for invitations, for growth and transformation, and for being imperfect in that growth and transformation that we're not asking ourselves to already arrive perfect and clean which i think are ideas that are products of whiteness and colonialism but to arrive imperfect as we are and open to working together to change ourselves in the process of changing these systems and i'm not just talking about people and movements and activism organizing i'm talking about at every level or unit of community that you can imagine. And, and letting, letting, our, letting community be something that's, that we start to engage more consciously as a collection of people with shared skills, working in service of a vision that's shared, that's larger than themselves, it's larger than your own personal vision. And I think if more of us can begin to cultivate and create that kind of way of being in community together, that, that's what gives me a feeling of possibility and hope mm-hmm. that we can begin to create the future that we deserve, the future that I think so many of us feel in our hearts as possible. It also feels so far from where we are currently as humanity right now.
0: Yes, nodding along. Thank you so much for sharing the poetry and your reflections. Um, that was really beautiful, such a good note to end on and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for everything that you shared. There was uh, so much beauty in there. I have myself muted, but I was laughing along and getting a bit teary and just receiving so much nourishment. So yeah, I really thank you so much. And. Before you go, I would love to hear what you're currently offering and, and where people can find you.
1: Yeah, thank you. So one thing obviously is my book, Deep Liberation, um, which you can find at um, most booksellers. Um, I'll I'll give you a link you can put in the uh, show notes. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's on Amazon. It's on, if you go on Goodreads and search for it, there's a list of all the different places you can find it. And it's published by North Atlantic Books. You can also buy it directly from the publisher as well. Um, I also have a class coming up, Energy Body Mastery, which starts February 9th. And this class includes some of the core teachings in the first half of the book and, and really is about how do we... Learn to reclaim our energy? How do we learn to ground deeply into our bodies and through our bodies into the earth in a way that feels nourishing and safe and helps us to sort of regulate when we're in these moments of sympathetic response, a fight, flight, freeze, or fawn? How do we really come to a state of deep rest in our bodies and a new trust in our humanity? And then building on that, how do we also? complete our central channel and connect to the energy of the above the stars the moon of the sun and what we might call the divine how do we reconcile our relationship with our own divinity so that we can bring that sense of blessing and protection and generosity and and our creativity into all we do and sort of rescue it from the ways that ideas of our creativity have been colonized or limited in our imagination and then building on that how do we create sustainable strong flexible boundaries that can move and shapeshift with us as we move throughout our day and actually adapt to what the day is calling out of us versus like having hard shields or walking around it all the time or just having no boundaries and feeling totally overwhelmed by all the energies going on in the world around us and then finally how do we move inwards and access the aspects of self that are making the choices that sort of habitually unground us or you know stop having good boundaries or let other people trespass over our boundaries or um, get in patterns of codependency or cut ourselves off from our divinity and how do we rescue those aspects of self that are stuck in those choices we made to survive when we are younger so that we can repair and create a relationship with our energy body that is based on the needs of our current adult life and so that class is coming up and the cool thing about that class is once you take it once you're welcome to take it for free again as many times as you want whenever we offer it we usually offer it at least once a year often twice a year Um, and so that just allows us to begin building a community of people around those teachings that can support each other and a lot of people repeat the class from class to class there's a there's a growth and development and deepening that happens it's really beautiful and we've been teaching that for about you know four four years now so the community is becoming pretty sizable
0: that sounds amazing i'm gonna to link to that in the show notes as well thank you
1: yeah
0: um oh yeah and uh are you on social media and can you share your website as well
1: Yes. And so my website is com. That's L-A-N-G-S-T-O-N-K-A-H-N.com. And I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram as LangstonKahn. I'm on um, Facebook also as LangstonKahn. And I'm also on Twitter, but I I'm really terrible at Twitter. I'm trying to learn. So if anyone wants to give me some Twitter lessons, I'm open to that. But <laughs> maybe you'll find me there one day when I actually figure out how to use Twitter well.
0: Cool. Thank you. That's great. Again, thank you so much. It's been really, really beautiful to speak to you and I'm excited to share this.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. It's really wonderful to talk to you as always.
0: Thank